0: I want to go ahead and take our seats. Please start this morning. morning. Uh, we'll please introduce himself Earlier, I did not know if you were expecting a Dan. I'm sorry. sorry, I'm not Dan. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry to disappoint you. I'm John. Uh, Dan is a couple inches taller, a <laughs> year younger, very kind of lighter, and about five shots of espresso more than I am. So, um, so yeah. Sorry if that disappoints you. Um, but yeah, anyway, we are here, here to study God's word. So. so, okay. so uh, if you notice in the bulletin, uh, it says we're in John 20, and if you've been paying attention, last week we were in John 17, so hopefully you were aware enough to notice that we just kind of skipped about three chapters. We've been in the book of John since uh, the beginning of January, and we're going through, through this year, we will spend 35 weeks uh, marching through the book of John. Uh, we cover John 18 and 19 has the, uh, the Passion and Resurrection material in it. Back at the time of Easter. So, if you want to go back and listen to that, you can. It might be online, it might not. Sometimes the video works, sometimes it doesn't. It's it been working good lately, so thanks, to Jerry. Uh, but anyway, we're in the book of John, and um, we are nearing right the end of our journey. And I love the book of John, it is a remarkably cohesive book when um, you study it and i think one final review is helpful i've said this many times you guys may want to slap me and say stop saying this but i think it's one of those things that when you understand the structure of the book the book just opens up in such a new way
1: and so compared to the other three gospels
0: 93 percent of the material of the book of john is unique to the book of john Meaning you won't find it in matthew or heart it's unique to the book of john in that way so john had a laser-like focus on what he was writing he had a definite theme he had a definite what he was trying to accomplish. And his purpose statement, or his thesis statement, which is which is included in our reading today, is from John 20, 30 through thirty one. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing he may have life in his name. And as you read through that book, as you read through the book of John, and if you understand that that comes at the end, and he's putting his feet on the cross. He's a statement the You see that woven through every verse, every passage, and every chapter. It's there if you're looking for it. And John never deviates from them. So the book of John is divided into two major sections. Chapter 1 through 12 is the book of signs. John gives seven signs that Christ, did. Christ has the prove that he is the Son of God. He selected seven out of all the miracles that Jesus did. The second part of the book of John, verses 1 through 13, through 21 covered the like, last part one week of Jesus' life and includes the death and resurrection material and a lot of the things that he talked to about his disciples. And each of the seven signs constitutes really what is a new creation type of thing. Something that is done to prove that only God can do this. Only the Son of God can do something to bring about this type of new creation. Turning water into wine, healing the noble man's son from miles away, healing the old lame man, five thousand, healing the blind man, raising the blind. But also included in the book are seven I am statements of Christ, where Jesus makes a statement of I am this. And each of those is followed by a discourse which explains that in a little bit more detail. It gives us something that he wants us to know about him and about his character. So why is all of that important? Well, without the backing of the signs and the miracles that John chose to give us, anyone can make the claims that Jesus did. Anyone can say that he is those things.
1: But because Jesus did
0: what only the Son of God can do, what he said and what he claimed about himself must also be true, because he proved it. So John lays the foundation as he goes through the book that you must make a personal choice, a conscious choice of what do you believe about Jesus Christ and the claim that he is the Son of God. He can't just be a great teacher. He can't be a good man. He can't be a wise prophet. He must be the Son of God. So our passage this morning is John 20, 24 through 31. And it's in the bulletin, or if you want to pull it up on your Bible, you can read it along with me. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, all the twins, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples so told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the hands, it's his hands, the mark of his nails, I place my finger in the mark of his nails, finger, the mark of his nails. Place my hand to his side, I will never believe. Now eight days later, his disciples were inside again, him, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it to my, to my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. If these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that God believing you may have life in his name. I I love Thomas. I'm a big fan of Thomas. We're not told much about him, but this statement sounds exactly like something I would have said in that situation. And those, and those of you that know that i probably would have said that maybe, maybe, it's about, why this is, maybe it's because i spent a large majority of my life growing up in kansas city missouri missouri is the show me state so maybe that's just kind of ingrained brain me. uh i have mixed feelings about personality tests but i'm told that i'm i an INTJ so i'm one of these that my mind is just constantly turning. when i hear a statement i want to know the source i want to know the facts i want to know is there been other verification of this is bias, is there any conflict of interest? What measures did they use? Is this statistical analysis valid? Is there a better conclusion or a way to come up with this data? But the problem is that Thomas has gotten such a bad reputation over the years. I remember in children's church, you know, don't be a doubting Thomas. You just gotta believe. <laughs> and we would still hear that from adult preachers today, you know, picking on Thomas, don't be a doubting Thomas. It's such a popular phrase that even people who don't know the exact setting of this, the phrase doubting Thomas has become part of one of the common kind of parlance of the things that we talk talking about today. So, so I'm going to defend Thomas. If you, if you look at the, the Bible, Bible back in uh, verses 19 and 20 just above this, you'll read on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews,
1: Jesus came and stood among
0: them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his son. And the disciples were glad when they saw them. So Thomas wasn't there.
1: But the exact same thing, Jesus did the exact same thing with the disciples a week
0: earlier. They were, they were hiding out because they were scared. So weren't they doubting just as much as Thomas was? Thomas didn't have the opportunity to be in the room. So they, they believed once they were able to do what Thomas proclaimed, that he wanted to also have the opportunity to do. And it didn't seem like much has changed because a week later the disciples were still hiding out in the locker rooms i hide out amongst the of them, dinner, ten of them. And then, and then Tom, Thomas is with them, him, and now, and now says he wants to see this. And so you give Thomas a bad rap out of this. So, so John, John includes this statement of Thomas. Have you, have you believed because you have seen it. me? Now historically, many commentators and people have said, this is a review. Like, you should have believed without seeing me. But as people study this in, in context and in things, people see this more as a rhetorical statement, followed by a beatitude. And so, specifically focusing on the point, blessed, blessed are those who could have not seen and have yet believed. Because mm-hmm. at the time of writing John's Gospel, which was around 70 AD, nearly four years world. later, no one would have been reading this, would have been able to have such proof. No one, no one would, would have been able to put their hands in, in, in the nail prints on Christ's hands. They would never have never been able to touch his son. And, and this is honest. Because frankly, right, we can't see the physically resurrected Christ. But countless people throughout the last 2,000 years have not seen the resurrected Christ and have yet believed in him. And this this is the point of the story of Thomas in my life. John calls for believing, not based on something physical, sight or touch, but based on the testimony and message of those who did it. So, along with Thomas, we can say, My Lord and my God. So, the title of my message this morning, if I had this, I'd have would be called Doubting or Believing Thomas. And the doubting would have a big X over it because all I don't think doubting Thomas, I don't think he deserves that title of Doubting Thomas. And so one of the key things is that the belief displayed by
1: Thomas is submission. So in this case,
0: belief equals submission. My Lord and my God. And this is key for John. All throughout the book of John, belief is never a mental agreement earn or... Okay, yeah, I kind of get that now, I'll, I'll, I'll go along. It's something that changes you. and In this case, it's recognizing and submitting to the Son of God. So how do we submit to Christ? I believe that as we look back, what I did was look back at the seven I Am statements to see what Christ says about himself, to find what Christ would want us, and in which ways Christ would want us to submit to
1: him. And the first way of that
0: is to submit to Christ as Savior. And that comes from this statement Verse chapter 8, 12, where he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of the And then in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So, so the point here is submitting to Christ as Savior means we can live out our salvation, that is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Are there, uh, there are two aspects in, in the doctrines of salvation that aren't so popular, but both are clearly taught in the Bible. And that's, and that's, that's that of total depravity and, and total inability. And so we don't want to see ourselves as bad as we are, and we want to have a chance for ourselves to do something about the fact that we're lost and we're dead, and we want to be able to somehow contribute to our salvation. It's just, it's just the American way. We want to be able to do something with this. We don't like things being done. Excuse me, we have force. But the problem with that is as we soften those two doctrines, man is exalted through his attempts to to do something, to add something to salvation.
1: And our Savior's grace and
0: love through his work on the cross are minimized. And every time there's been a softening of gravity or intimidate, it's always throughout church history you linear heresy and lenin or liberal theology. So what does that mean? Topic totally gravity means that in our natures, we like anything that is spiritually good. In, in other words, words, we're spiritually good. We're not as helpless, we're not as bruised, or wounded, not, not even a metaphor of hymns that we've sung for our whole lives seeking sinking deep in sin or far from the peaceful shore. To correct, to correct that you. metaphor, it would be more, we're corpses that are bloated at the bottom of the ocean with nothing that we can do about it. Our entire being, our intellect, our emotion, our desires, our hearts, our goals, our motives, and our, our bodies are impure before a holy We are completely and totally depraved from birth. Total inability means that in our actions, we are unable to do anything that is spiritually pleasing before God. There's There's nothing nothing we can do, nothing we can say, nothing we can pray, nothing we can think that earns us any favor of God. So we're we're left with a problem. We're completely depraved, We're dead dead in sin, and there's there's nothing we can do about it. So So what has to be done? Well, the solution to the problem is Christ, the one who came into the darkness of sin in this world, to be the light and to give life. The one who is the way, the truth, and the life, the exclusive way to the Father.
1: And really, I don't think anything
0: better can be said about this than what's said in the first 10 verses of the If you have your Bible, you may want to that, that I read along with this. But I don't think anything better can be said about this. As for you, the dead, in your transgressions, and sins, in which you used to live, you follow the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Your spirit, spirit is now at among us who are disobedient. All of us also live among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, all following his desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions,
1: it is by grace
0: you have been saved. God, God raised up with Christ, seated with him in heavenly realms of Christ Jesus, in order, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressing his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one knows. For we are God's handy work, in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us. So, so all of, all of that, that really is, is God in his plan shows chose us for salvation. It showed show the, the immeasurable grace that he loves. And this, and is, and this is where we, we often talk about salvation. It's, it's not to, to escape, escape from something. It's, it's not to, to escape from eternal torment in hell. Then that's part of it. And it's, and it's not necessarily to go somewhere, to, to go, go to heaven. And that's also part of it. But Christ saved us himself. And as verse 10 says, ultimately, that we would show his handiwork through the good works that he's given us to do. So Jesus Christ saved us for himself so that we would live out our salvation that is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. The second thing is to submit to Christ to sustain In John 6.35, Christ talks about how he is the bread of life. In John 1, he says, I am the true mind. Submitting to Christ as a savior means that we find our fulfillment in this life only through Christ. Yet understand that we must put in the effort to maintain that fullness. See, the Christian life only starts at salvation.
1: Paul compares the Christian
0: life to a race or to a battle of many different things. And as you walk through life, certainly many times it feels like a race or a battle. There are times of immense spiritual highs and victory, and you know, then there are those times where you feel like you have nothing left to attain because of defeat after defeat. The metaphors metaphors and importance of bread and staying connected to a vine are quite obvious. Yet we still often often ignore what they mean mean and ignore the importance of that. And I'm not not here here to describe what you should should or shouldn't do to live a victorious Christian life. It's not 10 points on how to live a victorious Christian life. That will will vary from person to person. and 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 we all have our own individual struggles and all have our own but, but the, the question, question does need to be asked: Why do we not partake on life-giving bread through Jesus Christ? And why do we disconnect ourselves from the vine? For me, For me I find it's when I'm sailing along things are going great, life, life is good, things are going well, I got it, and it's really the very things that were providing the source of that strength seem to be the first things that I stop doing, and then it's back to. Now, I love tennis. I like playing tennis. I like watching tennis. And man, there's going to be a final today. And I know that Djokovic is going for one of the greatest accomplishments in tennis. I'm a Roger Federer fan. It hurts me that Djokovic may get it. But it's still a great thing.
1: But one of the things that
0: I have to say about Djokovic is he is one of the most disciplined athletes that I've ever seen. He prepares for every single thing. He has a bus that goes to turn to the a private chamber for recovery, as has a hyperbaric chamber. It's good if you get a lot of money to do that, but I mean, he takes everything seriously. Every edge that he can find, he finds that edge to beat his opponents, whether it's mentally or physically. And there comes a time, uh, in the match the night where he was slid for a ball and, and he kind of fell over and dropped his rack into this nice little roll. And the commentators recently joking about he probably practices how to fall, so then he knows how to do that. And so my legalistic past kind of cringes when I hear the word spiritual discipline. We praise discipline athletes and, and preparation and things they do. And my legalistic past kind of, kind of cringes when I, when I hear the word spiritual discipline. It is something that's you know, become more popular. I'm starting to see folks reprinting all these things. But I've actually found them quite helpful. And what spiritual disciplines are is these are intentional things that were modeled by Christ in the Bible. That, that I knew to become more Lord like Christ for the purpose of becoming, of becoming closer to Him. And, I think and the thing you realize is these spiritual disciplines are a means to become more like Christ. It's, it's not, not an end of themselves to say, I read my Bible, I prayed, I had moments of silence, I fasted, and all these other things that go along with it. And two classic books, if you've never heard or really read anything about spiritual disciplines, or went by Donald novel with Spiritual disciplines for the Christian life formed by Dallas Willard, the spirit of the disciplines. Both i found to be very helpful. It's not something you need to take all all 14 or whatever and do them at the same time. And maybe you say, all right, this is something that I'm really going to focus on working on. Again, for the means of becoming more life Christ and becoming closer to Him. It's not something that you do just for itself. It's something that you do for a purpose. And there is ample evidence in the Bible that working to add to our faith Three things like spiritual disciplines is entirely right. I love the, I love the passage in 2 Peter chapter 1, and i shortened short it, um, to take away some sort of the
1: repeated words. But it says,
0: make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and then knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who have it on their side the and block, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past and sins. And it's that word there. Make every effort to add it to your faith. It's not just something that we passively absorb in our sanctification, it's something that Peter tells us that we have to make every effort to add it to our faith and work to do these things. So submitting to Christ as a state means that we find our fulfillment in this life yet understand that we must put in the effort to maintain that fullness of life. The third thing is submitting to Christ as shepherd. And this comes from John 10, verse 7, where he says, I am the Lord of the sheep. John 10, 11, where Christ says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So submitting to Christ as shepherd means that I will follow his lead throughout life, no matter what I am able to see or the state of the circumstance. No matter what, I'm able to see the state or circumstances around and that's a really easy statement to make, but a very, very hard one to do. I'm sure, I'm sure we, we could all share stories about difficult times in our lives, or even difficult times that we're going through right now,
1: that others may
0: not know about. And every, and every time someone preaches about sheep, there's usually a comment about sheep being kind of dumb animals, and, and, and that's, that's partially true. Well, I've got a little bit of insight to this, because my mom, grew up on a sheep ranch uh, near San Diego, California. And And she's got some really interesting um, sheep stories.
1: And uh, she talks about,
0: you know, if the sheep fell and they got stuck on their back, you really didn't have to kind of help them get back up on their feet. And they were constantly getting their heads stuck in the fence, so you had to go and help them get their heads unstuck on the fence. But Um, as I was studying John 10, I came across an interesting note in one of D.A. Carson's commentaries about sheep and what it says in John 10 verses 4-5 about hearing the shepherd's voice and it reminded me of a story of my mom told. D. H. Parson says unlike Western shepherds who drive the sheep often using a sheep value, the shepherds of their theories know now that Jesus they led their flocks, their voice calling them on. This such a shepherd goes ahead of the sheep and draws them constitutes an admirable picture of the master-disciple relationship. The sheep follow simply because they know his voice. By the same token, they will run from anyone else because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. And so, my mom was telling me the story of a little lamb that she had as a girl. Because she thought it was funny, she named the lamb Mary. And this lamb was born blind, and the mother rejected it at birth. So, they kept it in the barn, and it was my mom's job before and after school to bottle feed this little lamb. And this little lamb literally literally followed my mother. If she heard my mom's voice, she would go running to her. My mom told me one time that uh, she happened to leave the door open and Mary came running in in the middle of a group of ladies that uh, my grandmother had in the house at the time, causing a little havoc, my mom was a girl. I guess like at that moment. But, but Mary, Mary followed my mom wherever they But when Mary was old enough to finally go out with the flock, my mom would often have to go out in a truck with her dad because Mary listened to my mom's voice more than anyone else, and they kind of guide her along the way. And so I don't have any great theological insights from that story, but for me and for whoever hears listening this morning that needs to hear this, it's just an example of listen to Christ's voice and follow. It may not be where you want to go, but it's where you need to go. And there are often times that you feel you can't hear Christ's voice, and those are often some of the darkest times in our life. His voice is still there guiding us through the scriptures. We just have to see Him. And in those times, it's a comforting thing for to Christ has had to do He's these the words. He's guarding you and protecting you. And we have a shepherd who actually did lay down his life for his life. The love he has for you that drove him to the cross is the same love he still has for you. Submitting to Christ as Shepherd means that I will follow his lead throughout life, no matter what I am able to see or the state of the circumstances And then finally, submitting to Christ is sovereign. This comes from John 11, 25, and Christ says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he died, yet shall be live. And everyone who lives and believes in me. Submitting to Christ's sorrow means that I stand firm on the fact that all things will be redeemed and made right, and the end as God works all things for my good and for his glory. When we live in this world cursed by sin, we wait for the new heaven and we wait for our resurrected bodies and, and those who have gone before, for our risen Savior, for forever reign. And the comforting thing to know is that death does not get the final word. One of the greatest questions of life is, God is love. I did this thing. And, and I spent a lot of time reflecting the 20th anniversary of 9-11-2001. And I'm 40 years old. And so I was a junior in college uh, at that time. And uh, I had just walked into Bible Documents class. It was a busy whole day. And our professor, was never late, came running in kind of out of breath. And we prayed to start the class. And he's like, let's, let's remember. He's like, there was a plane that so flew into we the World Trade Center, I was like nobody's real sure of what's going on, any casualties or anything. But uh, certainly, probably something with a pilot. And so sat there for our 50-minute class, and, and then you walk out and just total disbelief in the halls. Now, now for those of you I'm probably in the upper 90% of age, maybe uh, four years old here. But that was a time when there was not Wi-Fi on campus. And when no one carried laptops because they were about that thick. Uh, Stayed stay in charge for about an hour. And uh, no, I had cell phones, so there wasn't really any way to know what was going on with the outside world. But you started seeing TV and show pictures of what was going on. And, and you knew that, that things would never be the same. There was a certain amount of innocence that was lost. And, and being a draft age, every, every guy around us was like, you're scared that we were gonna be sent to the military at that time. But. but I don't have an answer as to why God allowed something like 9-11 to happen. The horrific images, the evil, the hatred, the things that caused that happen. But as Christians, what I do know is that we must stand firm in faith on the fact that God is good all the time. And he cannot be anything but good. And, 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 and a few snippets from Romans hey, 8, Chapter, um, something I would encourage you to do. All right, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the Lord, it is to be revealed to us. But we groan inwardly as we eagerly await for adoption as sons and redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And we know that, that for those who love God, all, all things work together for good. But for those who are called, and one of the things, as someone who struggled a lot over the last 10 years, is never confuse God working things together for good with the things themselves being good. I've I, had having adolescent people say, Oh, oh this, this is good because God did this. And I really do sometimes want to punch people like that. It, it's not good, work, but, I, but I do know and I believe that God is. Even though I don't understand it now, and I I don't get it now, one day day, it will be clear to me why all of this is gone. Death, Death, poverty, poverty, injustice, sickness, unfulfilled unfulfilled desires desires of the heart are not good, but God God can use them for our good, for His glory. This hope of redemption of all things is made possible by Christ, who is the resurrection and the life. So submitting to Christ's suffering. That I stand firm on the fact that all things will be redeemed and made right in the end. Because God wants all things together for my good and for his glory. So, so I believe, in saying along with Thomas, and believing my, my Lord and my God, it means so we submit to Christ as Savior, we submit to Him as Saint Stainer, we submit to Him as Shepherd, and we submit to Him as Son. These things, These things are, written. are written, you may believe. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for his life, his death, and his resurrection. We thank you for the many, many proofs that have been given that we can grab a hold of. by, by grace through faith, and believe that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God. Maybe not just submit to you in salvation, but in our daily lives to sustain obedience. And ultimately we submit to you, to your eternal plan. And we know in the end. you <laughs>